1: This is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Surely, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. Don't forget, you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio. That's in your car or in your house or anywhere else you've got a DAB radio. Maybe in the shower. I know some people like to listen in the shower. Uh, you can also listen on the Times Radio app. Maybe that's where you're listening to the podcast right now. You can download the Times Radio app, wherever you get your apps from, or just shout at your smart speaker, play Times Radio. You can listen to us live, but don't worry because if you ever miss the show, we'll always bring you the best bits. Uh, we we'll always bring you the columnist panel that's coming up in just a moment, and the big thing, today's big thing, Dish United Kingdom political news in the four corners of the UK, and that's my favourite bit. We do it every Wednesday. We don't always bring it to you on the podcast because normally bring you PMQs, but there's no PMQs because we're in recess. Uh, but, but on the Dish United Kingdom every week, we uh, ask for the most fun story from the four corners of the UK, and we've got some crackers, lots of animal stories today. As uh, so that's coming up in our big thing in just a moment. First, though, as ever, it's our column. This panel, normally it's Ali Burt on a Wednesday, no Robert Crabson today. So Alice Thompson was joined by Trevor Kavanagh. Who is winning in the great cost of living debate, Trevor, apart
2: from Martin Lewis? Um, nobody but Martin <laughs> Lewis. No, I think they're both uh, struggling for an answer to this one. It's a huge problem. It's the biggest problem confronting the government and the country today. Nobody's doing anything because they're busy fighting for the next leadership and uh, next prime minister's sh- job. And it is a crisis that deserves instant and huge attention. And to what extent do you think <clears> the
1: problem is, and this is, this is oversimplifying just because I've got you and Alice here, that uh, the people who are going to be hardest hit are Sun readers, but the people they're currently trying to appeal to are well-off Times Telegraph readers. There is a, there is a The people who are voting in this contest are going to be, by and large, people who could probably cope with their energy bills going up more than uh, lots of people who are, who are really struggling?
2: I think that's absolutely right. The people who are going to be hardest hit by this are those on average earnings of, say, 26, pounds £27,000 a year before tax. Uh, this uh, bombshell of £4,400 extra is going to hit their earnings after tax. Most people don't have savings of more than five hundred pounds And so this uh, won't-pay, no-pay campaign that's burgeoning across the country is going to get real traction. There's people not paying, they're just refusing to pay their energy bills. Refusing to pay. And I think that will spread to other things too. That's the problem. Once you start breaking one law, you leave the sort of uh, door open to further disobedience. And in, in this case, I think that an awful lot of people will be able to think that they're justified in this that the laws are asked, that they're having to pay things they can't afford, they simply don't have the money for. And we may actually begin to see real uh, privation, real poverty, not relative poverty. We may Mm -hmm. see people literally not being able to afford to eat, to heat, or to uh, do anything other than, in fact, anything. And so once you get to the point of real hunger then I think that uh, all sort of normal, everyday politics goes by the board. And Alice, the problem with that is uh, Liz Truss's response at the moment is, I
1: believe in growth. Like, you know, I believe in Father Christmas or I believe in I believe in tax cuts. Well, that doesn't help anyone if, who currently isn't paying any income tax.
3: No, well, I mean, Rishi Sunak keeps pointing out what she's getting wrong and they they both do. I mean, they're, they're both doing so much damage to each other, we almost don't need to help. Um, but I find it really astonishing that you've... you've got this situation now where where the whole country is pivoting on 180,000, you know, Tory members. And and actually, I think you're appealing to their lowest common denominator. You're saying you're unbelievably selfish. You only care about your own tax returns. You only care about what you're going to do about your heating bills. You know, you only care about, you know, culture wars. And you, And I, I think the person who would do better would be to appeal to their you know, better nature and say to these Tories... Actually, you're, you're, you've got a huge responsibility. You're looking after the country. You're going to decide on who's going to be the next prime minister of the country. And actually, that's so important that you need to think about everyone else in the country. And I think in a way they might prefer that because at the moment it looks like they're just this ghastly set of people who only <laughs> are so sort of selfish and so you know, myopic that they can't see what's going wrong in the country.
1: Do you think, Trevor, that ultimately politics has changed, the pandemic has changed politics so much? And particularly, you know, everything that Rishi Sunak did with furlough and support for business and that sort of thing. When a problem comes along, now there is an expectation that government uh, will help or at least can help. In the past, traditional conservatives might have said, "Well, it's not the government's job to." Well, now the government has done that. I mean, there's a question of saying, "Well, why not just set the get get the energy cap set lower? Why does it have to go up?" You know, there's a there was sort of once you start interfering in markets, start giving literally writing checks to people. It's really, really hard
2: then to say no, isn't it? It is, and that's a very big question you've just asked. I think that uh, what we learned in lockdown was that the government will say, we will do what it takes. Mm. What it took was something like £410 billion and a huge amount of fraud and people Mm. sort of taking it for granted. What we face now is something where um, we will indeed have to eventually cap those caps. We can't have people suddenly being expected to find £4,400, plus the extra on petrol and other costs which come in that we aren't even... Everybody's inflation is different. It hits you in different ways. Yeah. If you've got someone in a care home, a relative, suddenly those costs are, are, yeah. are escalating. So unless you are very well off, you are simply not going to be able to meet those bills. And that brings you to the point where you have to consider something really draconian, such as, an emergency wartime uh, bond which will be paid off once the crisis is over, over a long period of time.
1: And and I I suppose there's something about the fact (coughs) that there's energy bills that everyone pays. That actually in a way that even when petrol goes up, the pressure to do something really hits people if you have to drive to work, but doesn't hit everyone in quite the same way. Was because everyone pays gas and electricity bills. There's a sort of universality to it that means they've got to do something.
3: Yeah. But also, if you think about it, you've got schools and you've got hospitals. Yeah. And as Trevor said, you've got the care homes. I mean, it really does hit everyone and every institution. So, you know, they're all going to have these massive bills coming in. It's just going to be universal now. And I think that's very really difficult. I think you're completely right. You know, the problem for Rishi Sunak is he, he paid out billions. And if you think about Eat Out to Help Out, that was for restaurants and cafes. And now you've got the whole country saying, you know, we need far less than that. But each individually but but you do need to help us and and if you can't help when you've helped you know people running small businesses and large businesses and as you say a lot of people who, who've used it fraudulently it, it just looks terrible because it looks like we we don't care and you don't care about people and they are going to really find it difficult and I think this summer is almost okay because you've still you know you've got nice weather people are just delaying it and, and you know they're cutting back but they by September, they're going to have to cut back so much just to exist. I don't think people have had that sort of conundrum in the same way before. Do
1: you think we're less individualistic now, Trevor? Again, maybe because of the pandemic, the people, you know, stayed at home, protect the NHS and all of that, a sense of community, you know, if you look at lots of the polling, that you know, concern that, that welfare is is not, you know, should be more generous, whereas you went back 10, 15 years ago, people would say that welfare was over generous. Do you think society has changed that... Li- Liz Truss in particular seems to be trying to push against actually quite a big fundamental shift in the public attitude.
2: I think she is, uh, but I think that the demands and requirements of the current crisis um, push all of those normal everyday forms of Conservative versus Labour politics Mm. to one side. Uh, We are now facing possibly not just 15 months of recession, but possibly a, a depression. And a depression has never been experienced in this country since uh, 1929. We had the oil shock, which was pretty hard on people. We had um, recessions during the, in the 1990s and 2008. This, uh, I'm t- told by someone who really knows their economics, is going to make all of those look like a tea party. And cutting taxes is like putting sticking plasters on a burst water main. Um, if we do end up going in that direction, all normal forms of dealing with crises as they come along which politicians must on a regular basis go completely by the board and we have to adopt new thinking for this crisis and martin lewis in the times today i think has got it absolutely right well uh, let's let's try and let's be slightly more upbeat just because it's,
1: it's, it's a bit gloomy <laughs> alice let's talk about your column today uh, because you're making the case that we need to stop telling teenagers they're having a terrible time
3: well, I think it's incredibly complicated because I do spend quite a lot of time saying Aunt Teenage is having an awful time. I um, so <laughs> do. You I'm, I'm aware on, that. You come on most weeks. Phenomenally hypocritical. But on the other hand, there was a really good piece by Lucy Kellaway, who um, runs Now Teach, who has. Is teaching sixth formers, and she was saying that it's very hard to get that balance right because if you keep telling them that everything's absolutely awful and they've had to live through this pandemic and it's never been so hard and they're never going to find a flat to rent or a house or they're never going to they're never going to be able to achieve what the, the previous generations achieved, then they are all going to give up. And you've actually got a st- situation now where you know ten percent of children aren't going to school anymore. We've just lost them, and and you do need to. And she was saying that you know they they say what's the point in doing homework? You do need to give them some sense of optimism. And there's this thing called learned optimism, which psychiatrists and psychologists are always going on about, where you, you need to give them some sense of, of looking at, you know, basically looking at the brightness. At trying to find things that make them feel more optimistic and, and a lot has got better since you know when we were children without sort of harking back we're always going oh wasn't it wonderful but in fact a lot of it was pretty dire in the 1970s and I think we need to say to them look it, it, actually this is what's happened these are the improvements you know these are the innovations this is what's happened in science and technology and it's not all a disaster
1: we should try and be a bit more optimistic Trevor Well, I think even though it might be difficult (laughs) right now,
2: I mean, actually, life is actually wonderful compared with what it was in the 1970s in terms of overall prosperity. If we simply take out what's happening on the uh, energy front for the moment, um, everything about life generally today is better than it was. Mm. If you look upon it from a certain well-being point of view. But on the other hand, you've got social media. As long as you've got social media, it's a self-fulfilling process of gloom and doom uh, where kids, in particular teenagers, uh, are following other people, following trends. And even before all of this gloom, you had global warming and climate change. And uh, you've got problems with anorexia and dieting and uh, other forms of... uh, um, sort of crowd funding, crowd pulling ex- examples, people f- following celebrities, the celebrity culture. And there's nothing really that we can do about it as long as social media is churning that around permanently in the ears and eyes, in front of the eyeballs of kids who seem to be obsessed with their phones and their laptops.
1: Yeah. Well, so yeah, we should try and be a bit more positive where we. <laughs> Where we possibly can, where we possibly can. <laughs> uh, it's difficult for Boris Johnson to be positive because he see the the Polish PM has decided he doesn't want, him, want to meet him anymore. I suppose. Yeah, this... but
3: he's now been on his retreat, so he should be fine. Exactly, he's, he's been so been
1: chilled out in zen,
3: pampered, yes, and looked after, and you know he's had massages <laughs> and long walks. I think he's probably bored out of his mind. He's desperate to get back, why so I wanted to see the Polish Prime Minister so he just could to get, get out. out of just get
1: out and about. Just get out about.
3: Chewing the... stale bread rolls. Really. It was
1: interesting, Trevor, on the show yesterday. I had. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull on and he was talking about how, how, how quickly the, the sort of trappings of office sort of slip away. He said, You know, the phone suddenly stops ringing. It turned, you, 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 you kidded yourself that people just re, were really interested in what you thought about things, and as soon as you stop becoming Prime Minister, so you need to stop being Prime Minister. The Absolutely. Stops.
2: When you're gone, you're gone, and, uh, you know, cabinet ministers who've been sacked while at lunch come out to find that their office car is not waiting for them anymore. <laughs> they have to get the tube, and they're not used to it and i think that uh, one of the problems of whoever wins this leadership election is what are we going to do about boris That's because a really good question. You know, yeah uh, i mean this is he is a huge figure whether he's a, a, a huge figure for good or bad is a subjective view but something has to be done to to deal with this force of nature because he's not going to go away, even if people don't invite him to Poland anymore.
1: And if one thing we've seen, certainly from Tory uh, party members, but also, you know, Tory votes
2: in some polls as well,
1: he's still popular with with some people. And if he plays the martyr card, he could be an absolute menace for whoever becomes prime minister. Uh,
2: I mean, look at Trump. Yeah. Uh, Trump, by comparison... Uh, Boris is popular, even yeah. though he's very unpopular with some. By and large, he is a person who makes people laugh. Yeah. Uh, Trump never did that. Yeah. Um, so, look, he's going to be enormously popular. He'll <laughs> pop up everywhere on television and everyone will tune in. I, I just can't imagine quite what life is going to hold for Boris in the future. What do You, you used to work with him, Alice. What do you think he'll do next?
3: I think he's going to go straight back to his column and he will do anything from sort of, you know billionaires stag parties to um <laughs> anything that makes money really won't it and that that that's, money, that's money, going money. to be the issue is what, it's just going to be money 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 and we're all going to be left there thinking well actually you know number 10 raised his profile effectively from him it didn't do much for the rest of the country and the only thing you can say for him is that Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, you know, don't look as if they're going to be any better at the moment because, you know, the leadership contest has been so venal and so depressing. So I think that's the problem. Is I think the country soon will start saying, oh, you know, what about Boris back? And and that will be dangerous. Trevor
1: Kavanagh from The Sun and Alice Thompson from The Times. And you can read Alice every week in The Times. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash box. Up next is this United Kingdom.
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening
1: to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times
4: Radio. From Land's End to John O'Groats, St David's to Southend-on-Sea and Belfast to Bognor-Regis. England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. (coughs) This is Disunited Kingdom on Times Radio.
1: Yeah, we do this every Wednesday morning to get out of the Westminster bubble and find out what's really going on across the country. Disunited Kingdom, political news in the four corners of the UK. So, who is on the panel today? We head to Northern Ireland where the political cross for the Irish news. John Manley's there. Morning, John. Good morning, Matt. Nice to have you with us in Wales. Kieran Jones is head of news at Wales Online. Morning, Kieran. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you with us. Uh, In Scotland, Caroline Wilson is Senior Reporter at the Herald. Hi, Caroline. Good morning. And uh, flying the flag for England, uh, Nicola Adam is editor of the Lancashire Post and the Blackpool Gazette. Morning, Nicola. Good morning, Matt. Uh, So, uh, let's talk cost of living, energy bills. Uh, What is the picture like out there? And um, how are your readers reacting? First of all, Nicola, um, what's the situation with you?
5: Um largely just a bit of panic going on I think people the sun might be shining and it's beautiful and I think that's kind of putting off the issue a little bit because people are thinking about the sun but um, there's a bit of panic in the background as particularly as we approach the new school year um, for parents trying to buy school uniforms that kind of thing Um, just people it's beginning to people are just beginning to realize that actually they can't afford the things they normally can afford and it's starting to impact everything I think that when it becomes September and October and it's that we start to need heating and that kind of thing, that's when it's, you know, the the full reality is going to hit. But every day we're having like little stories here about just people not coping and the food bank situation. And there was a story nationally today about food banks and about how um, I think there's more more food banks in the UK than there are uh, branches of McDonald's now, um, which is just quite astonishing. So. We're having a look at all of our food banks at the moment, and they're all just saying, look, we're pretty empty. It's the school holidays. We always have a run in the school holidays. We're empty, but we're really worried about how we're going to be stocked up ahead of the winter. It's just people just don't have the spare anymore and not as much anyway. So I think that's going to become an increasing issue, certainly up here in Lancashire.
1: It's interesting the point you make, Nicola, because it's such a sort of gradual thing. That you just suddenly start noticing where you thought at the end of the month you had a bit left over or you put some in, say, and just suddenly starts eking away, you know, because it's not an instant thing. Everything just starts creeping up. The, the, You know, the food, you're buying the same food each week, but that's, you know, that's inching up and the petrol's inching up. And suddenly you, people are realizing they're having to cut back on things which they hadn't really thought about.
5: I think people are having to learn to, I mean, I know I am having to like budget a bit more carefully. And I think it doesn't matter what, what your salary is or whether you're working, whatever you're trying to exist on, you're trying to make sure it's eked out to cover everything. And I, I just think that as winter comes, this is going to just, everybody is going to be, oh, my goodness, you know, what What do we do now? What, how, do, how do we manage this? And uh, Having to make sacrifices in places that normally we take for granted.
1: Uh, let's go to the picture in uh, Scotland now. Caroline, what's it like there? Well,
6: I mean, just echoing what my colleague has said, I think this really is affecting everyone. I know I'm certainly looking at my bank balance and wondering why, you know, my salary has gone within like, you know, one or two weeks. It's unbelievable. Um, I think it'll affect everyone. We are blessed with a bit of hot weather here this week, finally. Um, But I know, you know, it's been quite cold in Scotland. People are putting on their heaters earlier so there's a lot of concern and there's new figures actually out today showing that Scots already owe £86 million to energy suppliers and that's before bills are set to rise by 80%. So that is obviously very worrying. 400,000 Scottish households now owe an average of £215. You know, when you consider, as I say, that that's before this 80% rise, you know, it's very concerning.
1: And what what's the sort of political reaction there, um, uh, Caroline? Because all the focus obviously is on what Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss are going to do. Sure. Is is Nicholas Sturgeon able to play, and the Scottish government, able to play mm-hmm. any part in responding to that? Or is it all sort of eyes on Westminster or wherever the pair of them are traipsing well, around right now?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Nicholas Sturgeon has requested an emergency meeting with Boris Johnson, um, you know, to kind of to discuss. I mean, she's basically saying the situation is deteriorating day by day. We need a solution to this now. The UK government's saying Scotland's been given record level funding um, and I know actually the Scottish government is meeting this week itself to discuss what what more can be done and has already pledged about £3 billion of measures. So, you know, I think the Scottish government's doing what it can can do, but is also, um, you know, seeking a bit more um, urgency from Westminster.
1: Uh, that's a picture in, uh, in Scotland. What about in Wales, Kieran? I, I fear this, this might be a, a, a grim echo of what we've ever already heard, but what's, it, what, what's the situation like in Wales and the political response?
4: Yeah
7: I'm afraid it, it really is a kind of a, a grim echo and I mean for for Wales as well Wales has a kind of a, a disproportionately older and, and often sicker um, population really and so as you look particularly towards kind of autumn and uh, and winter you know we're already hearing particularly from from pensioners that they are you know they're struggling already but they're, they're really worried about you know the, the colder part of the year and, and exactly what they're what they're going to do. And, you know, you're hearing anecdotally about people, you know, riding buses or spending days in municipal buildings or, or things like that. I mean, one other flip side of it as well is we're hearing from a lot of businesses, you know, you, you look at particularly in the hospitality industry, they've been struggling for, you know, through the pandemic and then with staffing issues. And now they're saying, well, inflationary pressures, plus people cutting back, um, you know, they're finding it difficult. So it, it really is kind of coming towards a perfect storm in terms of the political reaction. Um, the Welsh government, you know, as with um, as with Scotland, really is is looking to Westminster for some further some further help and support. They have extended the Welsh government the the fuel support scheme. So last year that gave out a two hundred pounds payment to one hundred sixty six thousand households. And they've extended that for this year to to four hundred thousand households. Um, but I mean, re- you know, realistically, much as everybody that will be getting that two hundred pound payment will doubtless be grateful for it um you know when you look at the projections for what uh, you know an energy bill might be by the end of the year 200 pounds it isn't actually necessarily going to make any an enormous difference unfortunately
1: yeah well as Rishi you know is announced repeatedly is that you know he, the, the central government will spend billions of pounds and uh nobody notices because it just you know just disappears in the in the um, and the crisis, uh, John Manley in uh, in Northern Ireland. The, the picture there, with a with a constant reminder, of course, that you don't have a government, well, nor do we really. But um, uh, <laughs> right now. But the, what's the political uh, situation there, and its response to the crisis? Well, I just I, I, it's important to point
4: out the sun is shining well that's that's important yeah that's an important novel development <laughs> but uh, to borrow that ominous phrase from Game of Thrones winter is coming and this is there is an underlying fear uh, with people that we will face a crisis. Before Christmas. Uh, So, as you said, Matt, we have no uh, executive, no government at the moment. Um, Filling that vacuum, just as when I'm finished here, I'm going to see uh, Nadeem Zahawi, who is in Belfast today, to try and find a way to uh, deliver the UK government's uh, energy discount scheme. Because we have no Stormont executive, there are complications with that. He has said this morning that we are unlikely to get it uh, when the rest of the UK gets it on the, the first installment on the 1st of October. Uh, but he has pledged that there will be some relief. It's just we, we need, it would seem, legislation demands that we have a 90-day consultation before we introduce these measures, and that's what the holdup appears to be at the moment. So um lots of sniping, but really no action from the local administration. Um and I suppose so is really
1: literally everyone is just waiting for the for the outcome of the of the toy leadership contest. Is it is it having much? I'm just quite interested into whether it's having much impact uh in your your various parts of the world. Are people following it? Uh, is it is it over is it interesting have you learned anything Nicola
5: um I think there's some interest um you know if I was be, to be brutally honest you know looking at our sort of website analytics I think people are more interested in the cost of living specifics than they are in the uh the leadership contest right now and we did actually have um Rishi Sunak in Lancashire yesterday doing a kind of local hostings and we we've got um Liz Truss in Wigan today as well so they are around and about and making themselves heard um, through this uh, contest Uh, but yeah I mean I think people just want it just they just they want to know I think they feel like perhaps it doesn't really matter what they think about this contest it's kind of not not for them up here and actually you know it's there's a sort of sense of kind of inevitability that things are not going to be that much different Uh, I think I think that that is the problem up here you know people are just not that keyed into it, really, at the moment. They're just any, worried about
1: themselves. <laughs> anyone, else, anyone else on this call who would like to counter the, the view of Nicola in uh, in Lancashire? No. Great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Caroline, just one thing I wanted to ask you in, in, in Scotland, given it's been rumbling on for a while now. Um, is there any sense of either Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak going down better in Scotland? I mean, Liz Truss did that extraordinary thing where she said she was just going to ignore everyone. She was going to ignore Nicola Sturgeon and uh, Mark Drakeford. I mean, the Tories have clearly had a problem in Scotland while Boris Johnson was Prime Minister. Is there a sense that either of them might go down any better or be less problematic?
6: Um, Well, I mean, yeah, I don't think... uh, Liz Truss basically, you know, showing contempt for Nicola Sturgeon hasn't gone down very well. Um, Well, I mean, it's strengthened, obviously, Nicola Sturgeon's cause. I think um, it's really bolstering, probably bolstering the independence... Um, cause I think that's mainly what the interest is in Scotland, you know, um, it's being kind of used as a vehicle to promote independence. So it's probably gotten more engagement from that group, I would say, than, you know, those that are opposed to independence. Um yeah, I'm not sure if <laughs> I'm
1: either sure caps it's electrified, it. either of the either <laughs> no. caps. What about in uh, in Wales, Kevin?
7: Well, I mean, Wales is an interesting case in the, in the sense politically that um, Rishi Sunak seems the more popular among Welsh MPs and, uh, and Welsh Tory um, members of the Senate. I mean, in terms of the, the the ongoing kind of picture, I think publicly people, you know, people don't feel hugely engaged with the race themselves. And then the, the, the interesting thing, I think, in the longer term is what the, what the nature of the relationship is going to look like between the Welsh government and you know, whoever ultimately forms the, the next UK government, because there's been such a fracture um, between Mark Drakeford and, and Boris Johnson. Um, and, and, you know, of the two candidates, Liz Truss um, at Hustings in, in Cardiff last week described Mark Drakeford as um, a low energy version of Jeremy Corbyn uh, and said he was among among the people who talk our country down and say the best days are behind us. So she doesn't, um, she hasn't sort of left the, left the door open for anything Particularly cordial, I don't think. If uh, <laughs> if she's the next prime minister, um, Rishi Sunak, perhaps slightly more measured. Although he has accused <clears throat> the Welsh government of squandering money and um, you know criticised plans to expand the size of the Senate. So I don't think either is hugely extending the hand of friendship uh, massively um, towards Cardiff Bay
1: all that well. Uh, let's talk about um, schools, exams. You had the Scottish Highs uh, this week, Caroline. Education has been a big problem for. Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP, is there any sign that they're turning the corner?
6: Well, not really, but I think we do have to take it. <laughs> not really. Um, so, yeah, pupils received their exam results yesterday and this is the first time that they've had actual exams rather than teacher gradings. Um, and the results show that the overall pass rates have declined from last year, which perhaps is not surprising given that it's not based on teacher assessments. Um but the pass rates are up from 2019, when they last, when, when people still um, were doing exams. Um, so it's a kind of mixed picture. I think the issue is there's never going to be a perfect system. I know when I was at school, there was always accusations. Oh, the hires are easier this year than they were yeah. last year. <laughs> you know, the, you only got an A because it was an easier yeah, exam. Yeah, in my
1: day, they were really hard. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, have exactly. To with, write them all with your left hand or whatever. Yeah.
6: Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, there's no. I do feel sorry for pupils. On one hand, they're being told, you know, the gradings were over generous, and now, you know, they're being told that they've only, they're only getting into university because the hires are easy, and you know, it's it's difficult. There's no there's no perfect picture, but I think the the priority has to be just ensuring it's as fair a system as possible in the future, whether that's a mix of assessments and exams. Or, or you know, all exams. I think you know they maybe need to re-examine what's the fairest system for everyone.
1: Yes, and I suppose we're sort of in that bumpy bit of having seen, uh, you know, grades go up whether a teacher assessed, you know, this is going to be this yeah. year, next year is going to be... I mean, the key thing, I think, to remember for lots of young people is nobody will remember in 10 years' time. Oh, so you were 20, 2022, were you? Oh, that was an easy year or that was a hard year? Exactly. Um, so that's the picture in Scotland. will obviously, next, I think next week, we get England, Wales and Scotland. Uh, we start getting, uh, England, Wales and Northern Ireland will start getting results. We'll check in on, uh, on those results there. I want to ask you about, I mean, one of the things... There's teenagers as well again. Um, we've heard so many stories about people going swimming because it's so hot, maybe in water that they, they shouldn't have done. You've got a pretty uh, horrific story in Wales there, Kevin.
7: Yeah, so uh, this was a, a teenager who's a, a holidaymaker down in, in Pembrokeshire. And there's a, a very well-known beauty spot, the Blue Lagoon uh, in Aberde, very um, popular place to visit and uh, very popular on Instagram for, for those inclined that kind of way um, uh, beautiful beautiful location but um, uh, this young lad um, Sam's 16 year old uh, boy was there with his mom Lindsay Wilson uh, they were down from Bradford and basically he'd um, like like many many people um, it's an old quarry it's filled with very very deep water and lots of people jump in um, it's sort of more than 30 foot drop um, down into the deep water below uh, he'd Done the done the jump once, and so his mom whipped out uh, whipped out her phone to um, to capture him doing it again. And the second time that he did it, um, she basically caught him on camera. He was effectively in what was described as a kind of a slightly seated position going into the water. Um, and that was likened by sort of medics that saw him afterwards as almost hitting, you know, hitting concrete, basically the way he went into the water.
0: God, yeah, yeah.
7: Um, and he's ended up um, fracturing his spine uh, and really struggling oh, to get God. out of the water. Thankfully, there was a, a paddleboarder in the water who was able to kind of use the paddleboard as a makeshift stretcher, get him to the shore. Uh, he was then airlifted by coast guards to, a, to an ambulance and, and taken to hospital where he's shown that he's got this fracture in his spine. Now, thankfully, it looks like it's going to heal with. Time and hopefully without the need for surgery but he's you know uh, in a back brace and you know as you you say it's with the weather and um, you know all all over the UK so many different beauty spots for people to go kind of wild swimming and in waterfalls and whatever to to cool off it's a very salutary and um, uh, yeah and quite troubling reminder you know the footage is um, very 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 sobering.
1: We are in proper silly season where journalists across the country scrabble to find news in August. So the, these should be particularly good. I have high expectations. Uh, currently, the most fun part of the country, after I've awarded points through all the stories, is uh, Scotland with 62 points, followed by England with 58, and Wales and Northern Ireland lagging behind on 53. So I'll tell you what, let's go to, uh, let's go to Wales first. Uh, yeah, let's go to Wales first. Kieran Jones, Wales Online, what have you got for us?
7: No, no pressure there, Matt, to, to bring it up for Wales. Well, um... Uh, obviously it's the summer and it's the time that people go away on their holidays and, and bring back some souvenirs with them. Uh, none more so than Cardiff university student Hannah Turian. Uh, she traveled off to Thailand um, to volunteer in a school, having completed the second year of her psychology degree. She got back a few days ago uh, and after a 35 hour journey, she got home at one in the morning and promptly went to bed. And I, I don't blame her at all. Um, she woke up the next morning. She was at, on a phone conversation with her mum when she heard rustling coming from inside her zipped suitcase so she opened it up and inside (laughs) a toad jumped out of a shoe in her suitcase prompting her unsurprisingly to um to to run away she feared it was um she feared it might be be venomous having come back with her from thailand um so she got onto the rspca who told her it was a minimum of at least a day it wouldn't be another 24 hours um living with the the toad that she named robert um, so she she left a, a bowl of water out and which Robert <laughs> hopped into um, so then in, in lieu of uh, the RSPCA, she managed to find a um, a, a woman who rehomes reptiles um, obviously of course you know, ra- rather 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 her than me um, not knowing that it was um, w- whether it was venomous or not, the woman turned up in um, what was described as with a quarantine area, which i'm not entirely sure what that entails and and gloves um you know i I'd, I'd want
1: a full hazmat suit i think I'll tell, um i tell, but... tell you what, this is this is the this is setting a very very high standard here um uh Kieran. um so a student who traveled 6000 miles home with a uh, toad a tie th- a thai toad in a suitcase that's exactly. pretty good that's pretty good uh let's go to uh where should we go next nicola adam uh from uh, the lancashire post and blackpool gazette what have you got for us
5: well, I'm I'm sticking on the theme of um,
1: animals. We here, like that's so, all right. We yeah. like an animal uh, story this week. <laughs>
5: we've got we've got Mike Woodham, who is a zookeeper at Blackpool Zoo, um, and he's so he loves the animals so much. He's actually moved in to the zoo into a flat amongst all of the animal enclosures at the zoo. And every morning he wakes up to the sound of lemurs, gibbons, and sea lions, which are right next to him. Uh, sometimes he spends the night. He's got like a, a you know a new arrival at the zoo, a baby animal. He sometimes sleeps by the side of the cage with the baby animal. So hang on. Um, where,
1: where, I was going to ask, where is he? What is his house? Is he just in an old... It's, it's is a he converted, now living behind glass while children it's bang
5: actually, on him? It's actually a converted air traffic control tower. Of course it is. Um, uh, that he's moved into. It's flat <laughs> in this old air tra- Traffic control <laughs> tower. Um, so yeah, he's 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 living the life, and we've been down to to see it for ourselves, obviously. Um, yeah, and it's just it's quite loud in his flat. With, well, the, with <laughs> I'm not going to lie, the gibbons <laughs> are pretty annoying. I have so, to say um, during, yeah.
1: the, uh, during the during uh, <laughs> the independence referendum in 2014, I spent oh no, several weeks, two or three weeks, living in a Holiday Inn Express next to Edinburgh Zoo, and every morning got woken up <laughs> by the monkeys. Uh, sort of squawking and laughing as, uh, as they were fed. So I, I'm, I hold you uh, personally responsible for that, Caroline, as the representative for uh, uh, <laughs> what's happening in Scotland. Uh, Caroline, what's your... What's your? Can you top a man who's God. living in a zoo and a tie toad in a suitcase?
6: Those are good. Those are very good. Um, I'll try. We've all been to um, shows at the Edinburgh Festival where you've wanted to leave or you have left. Well, it would have been impossible in this case because a Scottish comedian called Robin Granger decided to go ahead with his show despite selling one ticket. So he decided, he gave it his all and he tailored his show. This is a great show.
1: story. This is such I know. a, it's such a nice story.
6: It's a cheerful story, isn't it? He decided to give it his all and he tailored his show entirely for um, Mike from Leicester. So Mike from Leicester got um, a dedicated show and apparently it was a great show and he's now become a social media um he, you know he's gone. He's gone viral, which might have been his plan all along.
1: Wow, well, you cynic, you <laughs> cynic! But didn't um didn't Katie Copstick, the slightly fearsome uh, reviewer, she wasn't she waiting outside the venue and basically ended up sort of half could hear that he was going down a storm, and then one person oh, really? came out. Yeah. Oh, um, I
6: didn't know
1: that. That's even better. I know I know, from my, my long, long long time ago now, uh, when I went to Edinburgh uh, with a sketch group, and it, yeah, the idea of being reviewed by Kate, uh, Kate Copstick was a real, oh. that, that sort of struck Terry. Luckily, somebody else came from the Scotsman and gave us four stars, and then we sold out and we could have a line. But anyway, that's that is also a great story. The bar is very high here, John. Can you do better than that in
4: Northern Ireland? Uh, Well, I don't want to talk my own contribution down, Matt, but uh, we'll see how things go. Anyway, this is more light-hearted, shall we say, and it has a particular sort of Irish flavour in more ways than one. Uh, My tale is about Robert Pope, who is a marathon runner from Liverpool, and he has run the breadth of Ireland from Galway to Dublin. And I suppose the unique thing about this story is he began... With a pint of Guinness before he set off on the 131-mile trek and concluded it in Dublin with another pint. and I probably I suspect he had more than one pint when he got to Dublin as well. So and I believe he's in, still in high spirits from completing his trip.
1: Now this is really tough. Who, who is going to get maximum points? I think it's got to be the toad in the suitcase it's very difficult to beat someone waking up after going on holiday and come, discovering they've they've bought a toad home from Thailand. So I think we're going to give four points to Wales. Frankly, Wales could do with it as well. So uh, that that's good for you, Kieran. So who's coming in second place? I think we're going to stick with animals. I do like the zookeeper who's moved in with the animals. I think we'll give that three points. Two points to the Scottish comedian who did a show with only one person. And I'm only marking you down, John, because um, your, your story's from Ireland, not Northern Ireland. And that, that I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure contravenes some sort of subsection of the rules of Disunited Kingdom. <laughs> Uh, which has made no difference at all to the scores. So uh, England are catching up a bit with Scotland now. Uh, Scotland on 64, England on 61, uh, Wales on 57 and Northern Ireland on 54. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you can listen via the Times Radio app. Catch me Monday to Friday, 10 to 1, live on Times Radio. And if you want to come on and play the hugely popular quiz, can you get to number 10? email me your details matt.chorley at times.radio and we'll get you on very soon
0: this episode of politics without the boring bits is brought to you by Luton Rising owners of London Luton Airport the UK's most socially impactful airport find out more at lutonrising.org.uk